Hey there, everyone. Welcome to episode 32 of Points of Penalties. We'd like to remind you to please subscribe wherever you get your pods and give us a like and follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Points Penalties. My name is Josh. With me only today is Peter, my co-host. Jesse and Kevin are away. So well, let's get right to it. Peter, what are you drinking? Yeah, thanks, Josh. We're uh, a little bit lonely today, but that's okay. we got broad shoulders. We do all the yeah, work here do. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We love our boys, even though they're away this week. I am drinking a Nickel Brook Brewing Naughty Neighbor American Pale Ale. I think we might have had this on here before, but I can't remember entirely. Doesn't matter. I'm having it this week. It's 4.9% alcohol, so I don't think I'm going to win in that uh, category unless you went full light today. (laughs) But it's pretty good. Man, it's got a like a roller derby chick or something on the can. So, you know, it's good stuff. What are you drinking? Well, don't cover yourself out. I've got a <laughs> Great Legs Brewing pompous ass English ale. It's got a nice picture of a pompous ass <laughs> on there. I love the monocle. Yeah. But, uh, sir, you do win today. What? I, I'm only at a 4.2%. All right. I figured I had a 50-50 chance, 50-50% chance to win here. So uh, <laughs> go with the lighter one and maybe, just maybe, I'll beat you by 0. 0.2. But <laughs> you have me by, uh, by 0. 0.7. So nice. you're the winner today. But this uh, this English ale is uh, it's quite nice, actually. Actually, Kevin would probably like this one. You know, he's not a big, uh, you know, good beer drinker. He just drinks Bush and PBR. And, but I think he'd like this stuff. Yeah, I think you might be right. Have you had this before or are you just going nope. along with what I'm saying? I'm just, I believe you. If it's not, uh, we know what Kevin likes. He doesn't yeah. like, he doesn't like the IPA with the hoppy taste. That's right. All right, kids, let's get right into this. we got a lot to cover. There's just the two of us. The NFL is starting up this week. Thursday is opening night. And we had a few, uh, few big things go on. So New England Patriots release Cam Newton. Mac Jones is going to be the starting QB going forward, starting right here in week one. Bill Belichick had repeatedly said Newton is his guy and uh, his you know, team's starting quarterback, but he's got to reestablish that position. Evidently, Mac beat him out and, uh, and was, didn't allow Cam to reestablish that position. So uh, Mac finished 36 of 52. For the preseason, 389 yards, excuse me, with a touchdown and no picks. And the no picks is a big thing, especially for a young kid. Yeah, he's just drafted too, right? He's straight yeah. up rookie. Yeah, straight yeah. up rookie. Yep. Uh, so Newton did play in every preseason game, but overall only 39 snaps. So they either knew already that he wasn't going to be the man or, uh, Figured he was going to be, but they just really wanted to see Mac Jones, which they did, and they really, really liked what uh, what Mac put out there. And can't blame him there. He's an Alabama product, and most of those players come out and do pretty well in the uh, in the pros. So I think it's going to be good for the Patriots. You know, they're going to get young, and they have a guy now that if uh, they can mold the way they want to mold with Bill, this could be turn out to be uh, you know maybe not as good as Tom, but you know maybe there could be a long-term dynasty coming up here uh, with Mac Jones to see how good he actually can be. And I mean, I would say because of this coach 
see uh, the sky's the limit. Yeah. So I think I've always been on here a little bit, but my philosophy has always been that with young quarterbacks, it's always better to grow them a little bit before you throw them in there into a starting role um, just so that they can gain their confidence and not be sort of shell-shocked getting into the NFL right away, which we've seen time and time again with lots of quarterbacks. But there are always some that can do that and and turn it into a good career. So we'll see if uh, if Mac is that guy. Um, personally, I would be – I don't know if Cam's the guy, but I would be uh, trying to get Mac sort of acclimated to the league first before throwing him in there right away. But maybe they like what they see and they think he's ready. We'll, time will tell. Yeah, and it depends on where they feel that they're at as a franchise. You know, I what you think if you're in win now mode, maybe you keep Cam in there, right? Because I think he's probably, you know, short term going to be better than Mac Jones. But you know, I haven't seen a whole lot of the practices. I haven't seen any of their preseason games. Maybe he's just been phenomenal. Um, but we don't like the Patriots. Nobody does. So yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> fuck them, right? <laughs> So the Patriots did sign Newton to a one-year deal in March that included $3.5 million in guaranteed cash, and he could have earned uh, $5.1 million. But since uh, – oh, sorry. He could have went all the way up to $13.6 million with incentives and so on and so forth, which is a hell of a lot of cash. So kind of makes sense of why they didn't just say you can be the bench quarterback, you know, be the number two. That's a lot of money to be putting on your number two, so – especially if you know that he's not going to do anything in the future for you. So kind of makes sense why they did uh, drop him if they weren't going to play him as the number one, but uh, we shall see. So the Mac Jones era starts this week as do a bunch of other uh, quarterbacks and young players uh, in the NFL. We'll we'll see how Mac does uh, in his first uh, few weeks in the NFL. Now, the NFL player vaccination rate has held at 93% following the roster cuts and getting them down to the final 53. And that's great. It's great news. 93% is quite a few. Yep. Um, you know, all there, obviously, there's still some guys that are, uh, you know, hard on about not, not taking it. And that's fine. That's your uh, prerogative. But uh, I'm, I'm wondering if things are going to kind of maybe lean more towards uh, what the NHL is looking at doing, which we'll get into a little later. And if they're going to potentially not find them, but punish, you know, some of these guys, if something were to happen and uh, maybe they don't, uh, maybe they don't get paid or, or what have you. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out, uh, you know, and shakes down in the near future, but 93% pretty damn good. I'm, I'm impressed by that. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we don't see, any games postponed, delayed, missed this season uh, because of COVID. Hopefully it could be a fairly normal year. Yeah, it's good to see big numbers in the NFL because obviously the NFL has the biggest teams uh, out of the big four sports. And it's I, – I would have sort of guessed that there would have been a lot of hesitation in the NFL just because they have a lot of the uh, sort of southern Bible Belt kind of states where they seem to be – in those areas resisting the vaccine a little more than in other areas. Uh, but it seems like they're doing a good job of, of either mandating or 
pushing the fact that it's good to get the vaccination and it's working. They're at 93%. That's, that's a big number. Yeah. And it could go a long way too. you know, where you see your favorite player or your team and they they have a hundred percent vaccination rate or a high vaccination rate, you know, as you personally, who somebody might not have uh, thought to go get it or doesn't want to get, it might change your mind because, you know, my, my Dallas Cowboys or whatever are all vaccinated, you know, just as an example. So, um, which yeah. could work both ways. Right. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it does. And hopefully they can keep that climbing up just a little bit more throughout the season. And hopefully all the other major sports uh, follow suit in that too. Yeah, absolutely. It's like Elvis back in the day with uh, the polio vaccine. Yeah. I don't know if you know that story, but he was, uh, he publicly, very publicly got the vaccine for polio back in the day. And that was a big contributor to public becoming mm-hmm. accepting to getting it themselves. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully it has a similar effects with the uh, NFL players being very vaccinated and the other big sports as well. All right. So in new Orleans, if you haven't heard probably been living under a rock, but uh, in Louisiana, they're having some issues with hurricanes, which is not a new thing. Hurricane Ida has caused some massive damage. And in the wake of that, the New Orleans Saints have decided to not play their home opener against Green Bay in the Superdome because of Hurricane Ida. And they have now decided that they're going to choose somewhere in Florida to play their opening day uh, game. This makes sense. Uh, Not necessarily the Florida part, but just making it, just playing it elsewhere you know, you don't want to, I know it's a good, you know, everybody loves the NFL and it's going to draw a lot of people and whatnot, but the money does not need to be spent buying tickets and buying drinks and stuff like that at, at these games. The money that's in Louisiana and New Orleans needs to be put back into the cities uh, and, and the state as a whole to rebuild from Hurricane Ida. And I mean, they still even haven't, they haven't fully rebuilt from the past couple of hurricanes. Like these guys always get walloped and uh but they seem to know what they're doing in, in that sense of, of rebuilding. And they, you know, when you go through it, you go through it, you go through it, it becomes systematic almost, you know? So yeah. um, I like that. They're not going to be playing at home. Just, just in respect for all the people that have lost so much uh, and so on and so forth. And then to help keep people away so that they can rebuild and stuff. I really like that. Uh, so kudos to them for that. Yeah, no, it's a smart move. It's not uh not the right time to be playing football games in New Orleans right now. They got to get past the wake of this hurricane and then they'll be back. Yeah. So they plan to open up their stadium in Florida uh, at TIAA field in Jacksonville. And this will make the second time in 17 years that the franchise, the saints that is saints franchise will play a home opener elsewhere than in New Orleans. I assume the last time was after Katrina. Likely, yeah. So the Saints are currently in Texas practicing, but I guess they picked Florida because they're playing Green Bay, and for whatever reason, Aaron Rodgers tends to underperform in the Sunshine State. So they got to take him into an element that he shits the bet in so they can (laughs) try and get that first W. So Rodgers has played seven career games in Florida. Uh, He's posted a three to four record with an overall QB rating of 78.1, which is not shit hot at all, not for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I hope they actually picked Florida because of this. It'd just, it'd just be excellent. 
I, I have a hard time believing that's actually the reason, but I hope it is. I hope it is. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting for sure, and it's kind of funny if they did, if they did pick Florida because of this. They're like, you know what? We're playing Aaron. He's shitting in or in uh, in Florida. <laughs> let's let's put him out there. I mean, it doesn't make sense for him to say let's go to Minnesota or. You know, he plays in Minnesota all the time. Aaron Rodgers does, so he'd be used to it. And you know, or even anywhere it's cold. Uh, it's not cold right now, but yeah. Okay, so the Seahawks made a few moves. They have acquired cornerback Sidney Jones in a trade with the Jags, and they send a six-round pick back to the Jags as compensation. Jones is a six foot, 186 pound, two time first team all Pac 12 selection. And he led the Pac 12 in passes defense in 2015 with 14. 2016, he scored three defensive touchdowns. That's pretty good. That's a long time ago, though. We're talking yeah. about his college days, fucking five years yeah, ago. That's true. Uh, Jones was considered a first-round pick when he declared for the draft, but Torrey's Achilles at Washington's Pro Day and ended up being selected by Philly in the second round. So after playing just one game as a rookie due to the injury, Jones started eight of 23 games over the next two years before in wave prior to the start of 2020. With Jacksonville last season, Jones started six games and appeared in nine. In 31 career games, Jones has four picks, 19 passes defense, and one fumble recovery. So, like, this guy's not earth-shattering. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to win you the championship. But I think he's probably a pretty good, solid uh, role player and is going to help the uh, help the Hawks out here. Yeah. Seems like he's uh, a guy that had some good potential back when he was drafted that hasn't quite lived up to... The hype, maybe. And uh, maybe Seattle's hoping to tap into some of that. And maybe they just see a guy who's, like I said, a good role player and able to fill a need for him. Maybe not be a game changer, but fill a need. Seahawks also made a second move, trading cornerback Akilah Witherspoon to the Steelers. Steelers send back a 2023 fifth-round pick. Witherspoon spent his first four seasons with the Niners. 2020, he played an 11 game starting four. He had a pick, four passes defense, and 20 tackles. So, again, this is nothing crazy. This is, isn't going to be a, this is going to be a showstopper for the Steelers, but, but again, probably going to fit a role that they need. Um, and did the Hawks get that pick back? Uh, fifth, though. Sounds like they got rid of the corner they didn't want for a fifth to add the corner they did want for a sixth. Yeah. So it seems seems like tidy work by Seattle here. They moved up one round in a draft or maybe the different years, whatever. And they got rid of a guy they didn't want, brought in a guy they did want. Nothing or shattering fucking all around. Just sort of some role players, but tidy work. Right. And Witherspoon was going to be in a backup role anyway after making the trade for City Jones. So makes sense to uh, to move on from him, get something for him. And, yeah. uh, you know, it looks like they're going to save a little bit of uh, salary 
on that anyway. So, you know, that works out in a few different ways for the, for the Hawks there. Jesse must be fuming. Yeah, likely. Anything that the Seahawks do, he hates, unless it's bad. (laughs) Fuck! (laughs) (laughs) And then still with the Seahawks, the uh, ex-linebacker KJ Wright was signed by the Las Vegas Raiders to a one-year deal, but no details have been released that we could find anyway on what he signed for. And then there's been a few uh, injured QBs at the end of last year going through the, the off season and so on and so forth. So some injured QBs that are likely to start week one, we've got Joe Burrow for the Cincinnati Bengals. It's probably going to play against the Minnesota Vikings. Dak Prescott of the Cowboys is likely to start against Tom terrific and the Tampa Bay bucks. That's your boy. That should be a pretty good game right there. And uh, injury-prone Carson Wentz is likely to start against those aforementioned Seattle Seahawks. Big Seahawks week in the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, if Carson Wentz does start, he probably gets hurt. That's just my my guess. First game, Carson's out. Done for the year. Ooh, you want to fire that up on the hot take tracker? You can. You can. All right, all right, all right. And with the season starting up this coming week, actually that, uh, that Cowboys Buccaneers game is on Thursday. That's the opening opening game this year. So, uh, but with those, those games coming up, uh, we decided that we were going to throw out our rule picks because what better time than now? We can't do it next week after, uh, after somebody's already got a W, right? Can't sure. do it yet. So, because we had Kevin and Jesse out, we uh, asked them prior to the show. Jesse had aforementioned that he was going with his Rams, and they Terrible were going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's not a great choice. Not a great choice. I mean, they've got fucking Matt Stafford as a quarterback, so not exactly. a great choice. Yeah. <laughs> fucking interception city over there. So, Jesse's wrong. Uh, then we had Kevin, and for some unknown fucking reason, he came up with the Saints. That's an even worse choice. I, I'm just I'm <laughs> flabbergasted by his choice here. Like, I I'm, can't wait till next week to ask him if he thinks Drew Brees still plays for the Saints. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, Alvin Kamara can only do so much. So, yeah, I think just because he's a Falcons fan, he just went somewhere in the division and said, "Ah, fuck, who can I pick? Uh, we'll go with the Saints." Maybe, maybe. And I'm gonna go with the Homer. I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. Ooh. That's bold. It's a, it's a tough one, but uh, I think that they are the best team in the AFC. Another bold take there. Uh, Josh Allen is fucking awesome. He's a great quarterback. And they added a handful of pieces this year that uh, I think are only going to help uh, the offense and the defense for that matter. And they're going to be a better team. And I can't wait to see uh a Bills Chiefs AFC championship with the Bills coming out on top, moving on to the Super Bowl, and then probably beating Tom or somebody in there to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> what do you got for your pick there, Pete? Well, I hate to break it to you, and I hope you're right. I hope that the Bills go on and win this thing. But they're not the best team in the AFC. Because the best team in the AFC is the aforementioned Kansas City Chiefs. And they will be going on to win the Super Bowl. That's my pick. Lock it in. Three years in a row in the Super Bowl. 
They're going to win it this year. Another safe pick. The Dodgers, the fucking Chiefs. <laughs> Go out on a limb. You got to play the money, man. Play the money. <laughs> the money's on the underdogs, man. You, you pick the Saints to win. You're going to win I a pick, bunch I of pick fucking the safe money. money. I pick the safe money. I bet a dollar. I want a dollar ten back. That's there it. There you go. <laughs> I don't need two bucks. Well, we will see who uh, who's going to win and who's right in February. Yeah. Should be interesting. We got it written down. You can't back out now. Can't back yeah. out now. I don't. Talk, I'm talking to you, Kev. Talking to you. <laughs> so what's going on in the MLB? Yeah, so let's roll into the MLB. So let's continue on talking about Wander Franco. And how he continues to extend his on-base streak. Now up to 35 games with a seventh inning double today against the Twins. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. (laughs) He's wonderful. Yeah. I think we talked about it. Someone under 20 years old or 20 and under, whatever he is. And to be doing this kind of streak is, it's impressive. And uh Again, shows you why he was the number one prospect and he is going to have a career for himself, I'm sure. Yeah, it seems like he's definitely as advertised and he'll be lighting this league up for years to come, it looks to me. Yep. I think you're right. Another guy who's been lighting the league up for a while and continues to do so. Bam Bam, Bryce Harper in August. That's put up 25 RBIs and 25 runs scored in a calendar month. That's happened four times in Philly's history. I guess four players in Philly's history. Ryan Howard has done it in, um, he did it in 08 twice and in 06. Jim Thome in 04. Bobby Abreu in 2001. And Mike Schmidt back in 80 and 82. For the record, it's Jim Tomei, not Thome. Whatever. I was <laughs> not a baseball fan in 2004. What can I say? Jim Thome. What is it? Tomei? It's Tomei, yeah. Tomei? Okay. Tomei. Well, me and I'm sure some of our listeners are now the wiser. Yep, for sure. Pretty crazy, though. Like 25 RBI, 25 runs. Like I said, only done a few times there in uh, in Philly's history, and he joins some pretty elite company there when it comes yeah. to comes to ribbies and runs, and that's a, those are some good players. Yeah, for sure, and that's probably I mean that's probably pretty much probably play about twenty five games in a month, maybe a little more, but mm. that's pre- pretty much a ribby and a run per game. Yep, pretty close anyway. Yeah, you got that. Uh, so. Getting rubies, sometimes you get them from home runs. And a team that's putting up all kinds of home runs, although not the most in the league right now, I must say, is the San Francisco Giants. Become the first team in 2021 to hit over 200 home runs. They accomplished that earlier this week. And they were subsequently passed by the Blue Jays. Yeah. And I believe another team has passed them as well. Uh, but the Blue Jays leading the league in home runs right now. But they were not the first to hit 200. That honor belongs to the Giants. And the Giants ran into the Dodgers this weekend. So that's going to that's gonna hinder the home runs for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like the Dodgers have like World Series caliber pitching. 
Almost. Happening over there. Almost. Mm-hmm. Seems a good choice to pick for winning the World Series, in my opinion. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right. On the subject of home runs, there is a team in the league with four infielders, all who have 25-plus home runs. The Atlanta Braves. The only team that's ever done that before is the Miami Marlins back in 2008. So it's very uncommon for all four infielders to have 25 plus home runs, but the Marlins and the Braves are the uh, two teams that have achieved it. Yeah, it's pretty cool uh, to, to have that much pop in your infield because that's typical. I mean, first and third would be typical to have that much pop, but uh you know, middle in, middle infielders, not so much. So, yeah, that's right. Usually, more counted on for their defensive prowess and not mm. necessarily their dingers. And so, yeah, it's rare to see. But uh, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Anthony Swanson, and Dalbias all have twenty-five plus. Oh, and by the way, it wasn't the Miami Marlins. It was the Florida Marlins in 2008. (laughs) I was going to, but it took me a while to find it. It was too late. (laughs) I can't challenge if I don't know for sure. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) I figured it was going to be well too too far past before I found the information. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't have to Google before challenging. That's why I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a Jesse move for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so ESPN is going to be uh, releasing a Derek Jeter documentary called The Captain. And it's from the same producers as The Last Dance, which if you haven't watched, you need to. That is a phenomenal series on Netflix. 100%. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully The Captain with Derek Jeter is uh, going to be just as good. I'm sure... I'm sure there'll be all kinds of spicy nuggets that come to light out of a documentary like that. Jeter's quite the character and I'm sure he got into all kinds of, let's call it shenanigans, maybe. Yeah, for sure. I think this is going to be awesome. It's going to, you know, it'll shed a new light on, on Jeter one way or another, just like it did Michael Jordan with the last dance, because a lot of people didn't know that, you know, Mike was so competitive and he was such an asshole to some people um but you don't get to the top without climbing over a few people so and i feel the same way about Derek jeter here and i'm uh i'm excited to see i'm excited to see this documentary for sure it's gonna showcase his longevity and his legendness yeah Um, and uh i i I hated that he was a yankee but man he was a great player and you know probably one of the best players if not the best player that i ever put laid eyes on you know, watch play. And maybe Cal Ripken Jr. Maybe, uh, you know, you could throw Ken Griffey Jr. in there for guys that I, I followed in the 90s type thing, but this guy is fucking lights out, man. Yeah. Even A-Rod might be in the conversation, which sucks because he's a fucking Yankee too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, for sure. And, and like, with the last dance, uh, for me anyway, like, I was, I was just a fucking toddler when Jordan was doing a lot of what he was doing. So to even just see sort of the story of Jordan was was interesting to me because uh, I didn't necessarily know all of, all of sort of how his story unfolded. And I'm sure it'll be the same for Jeter. He'll sort of tell his whole story, I bet. 
So oh, that'll yeah, be for sure. That'll be uh, that'll be interesting to to check out. Uh, and that brings us on to the Blue Jays, who are not the subject of the documentary, as far as I understand. But hopefully, after a couple word series in the next couple of years, maybe, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe one will get made about them. Maybe there'll be a Vladdy fucking documentary coming in 10, 15 years time. We can only hope. They probably, they, I bet you they would do one just because of Vladdy and Vladdy, right? Vlad Jr., Vlad Sr. There'd be enough content there to, to do a documentary on the Guerreros. Yeah, for sure. So the Blue Jays, uh, they went two and one versus the lowly Orioles. Uh, and then I saw lots of reporting that to make the playoffs, they need to go from that point, 21 and nine. That's what I heard. 21 wins, nine losses. That's what you need to do from the start of the Oakland series on. And you might get yourself a playoff berth. And they started that out well. This series against the Oakland Athletics, uh, there was some phenomenal baseball in there. And they managed to sweep the A's and start that off 3-0. and So now they just have to go 18-9. and <laughs> A little bit it's, easier, I it's guess. E- it's easier. <laughs> so that brings them to 12 games back of Tampa for the division and four games back of Boston for the last wildcard spot, which is it's, it's tantalizingly close. I, I think it might still be too far away, but, you know, after that series against Oakland and the way they won, especially the game on, uh, I want to say, Saturday night. Friday night. Friday night, yes. Thank you. With the big comeback we're going to talk about here in a second. Um, I don't know. That could be the TSN turning point of their season. If they make the playoffs, that'll be the point that I look back on for sure and say this is where it happened. The issue with me with this series is, yeah, they swept – and they did score a lot of runs, but they gave up a lot of runs. Yeah. So the defense still isn't there. You know, whether that be the pitching, um, you know, errors, so on and so forth, just bad decisions defensively, you know, it all comes together. So to still be giving up, you know, they gave up uh, like 20 runs in the first two games pretty well, you know. So that's that's a lot of runs to be given up even if you're scoring more it's still a lot to, to give up and they need to tighten up on that defense um but i i mean i'm pretty sure last week pete you said they need to win every game and uh for this week and they only lost one so that's pretty fucking good pretty close pretty close uh, i like that and they need to keep doing that and hopefully uh hopefully they can do better than the 18 and 9 and and will make the playoffs, you know, maybe just for Kev's sake to say that they at least at least his team got into the wild card. <laughs> at least they had a shot. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's so, been uh, it's been good. I've, I've enjoyed it watching this week. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think one of the biggest factors in uh, in them potentially making the playoffs, I think they play the Yankees like six or seven more times before the end of the season, and they're chasing the Yankees. So that could be huge if they can win a lot of those games against the Yankees. Prevent them from getting wins, obviously, and get wins yourself. 
that may be a huge swing and that may be what it takes to to just sneak into those playoffs and the other team is the red sox i don't think they're catching the red sox so the well the red sox are underneath the yankees so depending on the games against the red sox but it's still going to do the same be the same effect right yeah so that's their i mean <laughs> it's the ale story right now for the wild card um, you got yep. two teams in the wild card from the AL East. You got one that's a couple games or four games back, whatever, and then you just got the the Mariners in between. So, yeah, if they make it, I think the Red Sox make it as well. So you think the Yanks end up being the, the odd team out? My pick. If if the Blue Jays make it, right? I if I if I was a betting man, I don't think that's going to happen. I think. The Blue Jays are not going to make it, but if they do, I think the Yanks are the odd team out. Interesting. Yeah, buddy. Interesting. I mean, they've both kind of fallen off as of late, both the Yanks and the Red Sox, but yeah, but they got some talented teams that won't last forever. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting take. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see what happens. It's uh, one month left. Uh-huh. Uh, so let's talk about on the Jays. Tay Oscar Hernandez hit his 100th career home run on Saturday night. Uh, so he is batting 292 with 24 home runs and 92 RBIs. That would be this season. And I, I'm going to let you ask this question. Well, I wish Jesse was here. I really would like to ask him if he still thinks that Tay Oscar should have been the odd man out if the Jays had a healthy outfield for the whole year. Because after this showing, like the guy's hitting almost 300. Like it's not just a home run hitter. He's hitting 300. His (laughs) answer must have changed. If not, he's just stubborn. Stubborn, yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, I I think for sure, if if you look at the stats, I it's got to be it's got to be Grinchick and then obviously Dickerson too yeah. Dickerson is the last last ditch guy but um yeah I mean Lourdes has been lighting it up as of late I know because he's on my fantasy team and it's been great and he was actually part of that uh comeback that you're gonna talk about shortly yeah we might call him Grand Slam Lourdes from now on yeah could do could do but uh yeah I I really like uh Tay Oscar here and He's definitely not just the home run guy, home runs and strikeouts. It'd be nice, interesting to find out how many strikeouts he has actually, but the 24 home runs isn't too shabby. 92 RBI is up there. That's only like 10 or 11 off the MLB lead. That's not that bad. And then almost hitting 300 is pretty fucking stellar too. So yeah, yeah for sure. Nothing. I have nothing bad to say about Tay Oscar. I think he's been a huge part of this team's, Success that they have had this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the biggest part of the success that they've had has got to be Mr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It is 39th home run of the season this past weekend. And through 130 games played is the most by a Blue Jays hitter since everybody's favorite Joey Bats back in 2011. And Vladdy's just starting out his career. So that is that is great company to be in in terms of home runs through 
130 games played right at the top of the list. And it's, you know, it's only up from here, it seems, for Vladdy. Best player on the team and continues to show why. I mean, I'll go as far as saying he's the best position player, but we're going to talk about somebody in a few minutes that uh, he could take he could take the cake for best Blue Jay player this season at least. But fair enough. But, fair enough. But, but Vladdy definitely has uh, a ton of potential here. He's a great fucking player. He's been playing great over at first base, um, which I, I remember people thinking it was going to be a a handicap for him playing over at first. But you know. I used to play third and then I moved over to first, you know, albeit in softball, but it's the same position, just backwards. That's all it is. You know, you dive the different way to the line, but you still dive into the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, you got a little bit, a few more responsibilities from, from uh, getting, making sure you get to that base when you're playing first, but defensively it's the same thing. If you could play third, you could play first, you know? And I would say the other way around, but a lot of times you're a first baseman because you can't throw. Yeah, well, I, I would say that playing first instead of third is it's maybe a little bit easier in terms of actually fielding the ball, but you have to be able to you have to be able to make the catch on throws that are not always perfect throws. You got to be able to scoop that ball out of the dirt sometimes, which yeah. is it can be harder than it looks. Well, absolutely. Well, the, the argument that it's harder to play third defensively. Only because there's more righty True. batters. Exactly. Only it's, because it's the hot corner. That's it. Yeah. But I mean, you yeah. still get the same shots from a lefty batter at first. It's just not as frequent because yeah. it's not as many guys hit left. So, um, but yeah, he's been lights out and I can't wait to watch this guy throughout the years. And I hope, I hope they sign him to a ridiculous, stupid contract so that he's here for like the next 25 years, just because I want to see this guy play every game. Yeah, he better be a Blue Jay forever. If not, there's going to be fucking riots in the streets. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And I, I think he, like, I mean, he's he's got dual citizenship. He's Canadian and Dominican. Like, he, he likes it here. He grew up, you know, not here in Toronto, but he grew up in Montreal and in Canada. And that. So I feel like he, I feel like as long as the Blue Jays treat him well, he's going to want to stick around. Yeah, I think you're right. At least I hope you're right. And that's great for all of us fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so prior to Friday's game, we're going to talk about Friday's game a little bit here. Uh, the MLB was 1-457. and 457. That's one win to 457 losses this season when a team is trailing by six or more runs in the eighth inning or later. That record is now two and probably a lot more than 457 because there's been games that have happened since. But that's because the Blue Jays managed to pull out a huge comeback victory on Friday night. So the Jays have joined the Pirates as the only team to complete that comeback in 2021. Uh, So they had a six-run, sixth-inning, or sorry, eighth-inning. Um, capped off by Curiel hitting a game-tying Grand Slam in the eighth, which just set that building on fire. It set me here in my house on fire. He's <laughs> So he's on my fantasy team, and 
I'm in the semifinals and I, I remember watching it. I'm like, I need you to hit a fucking home run right now. I didn't even realize that the bases were juice. Like it didn't occur to me. And he hits his home run. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. I'm jumping <laughs> up and down. It was awesome. <laughs> so you just need to ask him to do it more often. Clearly yeah. you're the answer. For sure. Well, what's funny is that uh, yesterday I did the same thing with uh, Mark Kana because uh, he's on my team too. And yeah. he hit one. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, we got to start calling uh, him Unito Grand Slam Guriel. This, this is uh, definitely not his first this season. He's had a, mm-hmm. I think a few this season. Oh. And um, yeah, a huge game time Grand Slam in the eighth. And then top of nine, Mark Canna hits a two-run home run. At that point, I thought it was over. I thought the Jays fucking blew this magnificent comeback. <laughs> Another stupid loss. Chalk it up to more the way the season has gone. But then, uh, I forget who it was. Somebody got a single. Springer hit a double off a ball he never should have hit. It was like fucking two feet off the plate. And then up to the plate came Marcus Emmion. Two, uh, two runners on base. No outs, I don't think, at that point. And he uh, crushed a moonshot to left field. And literally walked it off. If you saw the footage of him walking after he hit that home run. And he's just walking, just watching his ball sail into the stands. It's beautiful. Well, and against his ex, his former team, right? So it's yeah. got to feel fucking awesome to do that. Yeah. So for sure, that's if there's a moment to make his uh, tenure as a Blue Jay so far, that's it for Marcus Semien. Yeah, yeah he, he has been really good, and I'm I've been quite impressed with him this year. You know, when you when he comes over as you know, kind of the old guy that you're thinking, okay, he's just going to be a kind of a backup and a solid uh, veteran guy in the, in the room and, and whatnot, and just kind of help out that way. And I mean, I knew he was good. Right. But I just figured that with all the young guys we had, he wasn't going to see much playing time. And he has said, fuck that. I'm taking every fucking inch I can on second base. And I'll take some short stuff when Bo fucking, when Bo has an off day and he's lit it up. He's been fucking crazy. He's been the best second baseman in the league. So. Yeah. He's been really good. It really is too bad they haven't been able to pull this together a little better because they, like some of the players on this team, have had just phenomenal seasons. Uh-huh. But they're still well out of a playoff spot and probably not going to make it. But it'll be wonderful if they do. If they do, they need some more magic, like what happened on Friday night. I'm sure because they're not all going to be easy like they were today. You know, like they. Earlier in the week, I had uh, looked into some of the leaders and like the Jays are, they were hitting 262 as a team, which is, that's number two in the league. Yeah. You know, or, or was, uh, was, I think it was Thursday. I was looking at this, um, you know, and that's <laughs> to hit 262 as a team is pretty fucking good, you know, but like you said, to be, you know, to lose stupid games in shitty ways and, and uh, stuff like that, and just not being able to keep everything together, you know, it was obviously frustrating for the team as well as us fans. But, 
like I said, I, I really hope that this series was maybe that TSN turning point and hopefully they can get their shit together. I'd love to act. I'd love to see them make the playoffs. It'd be fucking amazing, but uh, I have my doubts and we shall see. Yeah. I'm with you there. I don't think it happens, but if it does, it's going to be magical. And who knows if they're firing on all cylinders enough to get those 21 wins through the month of September and October. They might be a force to be reckoned with come the postseason. Mm-hmm. They got to make it. One uh, key guy that you alluded to, maybe their best player, will help them if they get there. And then he'll, we'll need him if they're able to get there. He's going to come up in just a second. This week's Points and Penalties MVP is brought to you by MVP Brewing Company. Try the Game Changer. So this week's MVP, as previously alluded to, is a Blue Jay. Blue Blue Jay's best pitcher this season, for sure. Mr. Robbie Ray was named the AL Pitcher of the Month in August with 41 innings pitched, 52 strikeouts, a 176 ERA, 188 opponents average, and 11.41 strikeouts for nine innings. He becomes the second Blue Jays pitcher to reach 200 plus strikeouts in 26 games or fewer since Roger Clemens. And speaking of Roger Clemens, he now holds a Blue Jays record for most consecutive games with 10 or more strikeouts, which he was tied with Clemens with three. But now Robbie Ray has four in a row. So he is number one, the number two spot, the number three spot, and the number four spot (laughs) are all occupied by the aforementioned Roger Clemens in 88, sorry, 98, 97, and 97 with three each time. So Robbie Ray moves into that number one spot with four consecutive games with 10 or more strikes. Cheers, Robbie Ray. Great, uh, great month and great week for the points for sure. MVP. Robbie Ray, cheers to you. This guy has been fucking lights out, man. I, I just can't believe how good he's been. I said it last week. We were talking about him. Jesse's got a hard on for this guy because he's uh, on his fantasy team and he's helped him. Uh, Jesse's in the semifinals as well in the same fantasy league. So uh, as we did previously talked about, so we're trying to win our game so we can face each other in the finals, yeah. which will be kick-ass. If we both make it, there's definitely points no, of penalties sure. points on the line. It's gotta be. I'd say at least. But uh, at least like Robbie Ray, five points, maybe ten. Ooh, See, I, I say that just because I know you're in the negatives right now, and Jesse's beating me. So either way, no matter <laughs> yeah. who wins, I'd go out. And I can't take a <laughs> negative ten though. <laughs> maybe three points. Ah, maybe I'll give up right. three points. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, Robbie Ray's been lights out, really uh, enjoying watching him pitch other than his super fucking tight <laughs> pants. He's made a joke about, and uh, I think he's done some sort of charitable thing because of those <laughs> tight ass pants that he wears. But but uh, no, he's been so good. Definitely deserving of the MVP this week. And, you know, early, early, we were talking about Vlad and Otani for the uh, AL MVP. I don't know if Robbie Ray would be now in that mix, but for me, He's definitely at this point, he's the MVP of the Blue Jays this season. He's he kind of, he's taken over Vlad, like Vlad's been awesome, but he cooled off. And that's right when Robbie Ray started getting on fire. And 
Robbie Ray hasn't let off. He's just been continually pounding the ball in there. And like I said, 11.41 strikeouts per nine innings. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. So I definitely, and I don't think I said this, but just to be clear, I don't think he's in the running for the MVP. That's Shohei all day. Yeah, it is now for sure. In terms of Blue, Blue Jays, Jays yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of Blue yeah. Jays, I can see the argument. I think it might still be Vlad. There's a bit of recency bias there with the way Robbie Ray's been playing and Vlad dropping off a bit. We might forget a little bit how dominant Vladdy was earlier in the year. But it's, it's for sure a conversation for who is the Blue Jays MVP this year. And I just have one message to the Blue Jays brass about Robbie Ray. Pay that man. Make sure he comes back. Yeah, I second that. And I would also throw in, uh, make sure you get Marcus Simeon to come back too, because he's been fucking great too. And with the young core and these two vets, I feel like that's a, it's a good mix. It's, you know, it's, it's worked fairly well this year, just not as well as we needed to. I think, you know, if you can get just a little bit more starting pitching, we saw Nate Pearson come out of the pen today and close up the game today, uh, or, or not close it, but finish it. If he can become a top end, quality starter maybe they make a move for you know another one to be four it'd be Ryu Robbie Ray Pearson and then I mean you got Barrios you got Manoa like yeah next year if you can bring back the same team your starting pitching is good your position players are good it's just the bullpen you improve the bullpen and you're looking at a fucking serious playoff contender mm-hmm and they've got some guys in the pen that are, are good. They just they just yeah. the whole pen is not good. So so bring back this team. This is a solid team. Man, I'd love to see them make the playoffs, <laughs> but it's not happening. Not happening. And I don't know about like your uh, your hot take there that the Yanks are gonna be the odd team out. I don't know, man. They're they're looking pretty hot. Uh, although they have cooled off, I think they lost like four straight after winning the third team. Yeah, I think that the Yanks make it and the Blue Jays do not. But if the Blue Jays are to make it, just because they play so many games still against the Yankees, mm-hmm. I, I think that's the path yeah. for the Blue Jays to make it, if they do. you got, you got to knock out the Yankees. Interesting, interesting. All right, let's move on and jump into the NBA. Let's start with a trade, which ended up turning into a buyout. It's kind of a weird thing here. So the Brooklyn Nets trade DeAndre Jordan for four second-round picks, and they gave out, gave out a double, double bag of cash. million. They all go to the Pistons for Jaleel Okafor and Siku Demboya. Now, Okafor and Demboya are both young players with uh, lots of potential. Uh, I really like Demboya. I think he's uh, he's going to be a good player in the league. Maybe not, you know, he might not be the the Kawhi, the the Kobe's. You know, he's not going to be the guy, the number one on the team. But he's a solid, solid player, and I think he's going to grow into an even better better player than solid. So I don't mind this uh, trade for the Nets, getting some younger guys that are going to help out. They're going to learn a lot from, from the old guys on that team. And then, you know, the other way around for the Pistons. So they are going to end up buying out Deandre Jordan. He had two years left on his contract, 20 million bucks. They buy him out. They get four second round picks and a duffel bag full of cash. And that's what they're looking for right now. The four picks for sure. Because they got to rebuild that team in Detroit. They got a handful of guys there that you know are half decent, but they're going to need the picks to to move forward and to to get better in the future. So I don't mind this for both teams. 
the buyout, it was kind of odd that you trade for him and you buy him out. You're just, you know, here, we'll give you a couple guys. And then you give me a bunch of picks and I'll just buy this guy out. It's, it's a weird, weird thing, but that's the business. And yeah, that's how the finance works. Yeah. I, I don't know if they just like wanted to save the space on their team for younger guys that they have or something, I guess. It's gotta be that. Yeah. But so DeAndre Jordan intends to sign with the Lakers, which will just add even more depth to a very experienced Laker team. Very experienced. (laughs) Very. Just a few minutes. (laughs) Very seasoned, let's call them. For sure. Now, I know Jesse would be laughing because this guy, DeAndre Jordan, I remember he was, I think he was playing for the Clippers at the time. And he was doing an interview after the game. And the interviewer was asking, you know, ask him something about the game. And he is just off in fucking space. <laughs> and, and he's, so he's just kind of standing there. He's looking off into space and he can see his head bobbing. He's jamming. And he turns back to the, to the interviewer and says, sorry, what was that? I was listening to Tupac and I forgot the question. Not <laughs> Tupac's playing in the background. He's jiving to it, bouncing his head and he, totally just forgets what he said and um he doesn't even really let the interviewer repeat the question he's like yep we did it we did it we got the w we did it <laughs> you know we persevered but we did it we got it and then that's kind of in that was all of the clip type thing they he kind of pieced out after that but man was it ever funny it's like oh i was listening to tupac and i forgot the question i spaced out <laughs> fucking space cadet uh, yeah and that's to me, I will never forget that interview. And that's going to be one of one of the funniest things that for me, he will be known for. Ah, the Brooklyn Nets have done some more, uh, made some more moves. So after removing uh, DeAndre Jordan and four picks from their lineup, uh, they did add, as I said before, Jaleel Okafor and Devin Boya. But they also signed LaMarcus Aldridge to a one-year $2.6 million deal. Now, if you remember, about five months ago, Marcus Aldridge retired because of heart concerns and, you know, the doctor said he couldn't play and he had said that he had to look out for his uh, family's future and his personal well-being, so on and so forth. He has since been cleared by doctors to play and he'll be entering his 16th season uh, with the Nets. So I'm happy that uh, this guy seems to have his heart uh, issues sorted out and hopefully they are not reoccurring and come back for him so that he can actually play and retire uh, eventually on his own accord and uh, it'll be interesting to see how good this uh, this guy can play in a backup role you know with not playing pretty much all year right he didn't didn't play with the spurs because he was uh they didn't want to play him thinking he was going to get hurt they bought him out hooks up with the nets plays like a game and then retires because he's got heart issues so he really hasn't played in, a, in at least a year and it'll be interesting obviously he can get back into shape within you know, the next few months before the season starts up but uh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes yeah and it's it'll be interesting to see how it goes health-wise for sure because it's Mm. unless he got surgery or something to fix his whatever his heart issue was like heart issues don't just go away yeah you know i don't know maybe he's been working on it with doing extra cardio or who knows to get his his issue dealt with but we'll see it's interesting that five months ago he had to retire and now he's all of a sudden back cleared by doctors i'm sure they'll be watching them closely doing regular checkups and it wouldn't surprise me if you know halfway through the season sometime he suddenly has to call it quits again which is unfortunate hopefully not but those kind of things don't just go away 
yeah, I think, like you said, they'll, they'll be Hawkeye with him to make sure things are good. And, and he's not going to play a ton of minutes. So yeah. each, you know, each game he's, you know, if he plays 10 minutes, I, I would think that's going to be a lot because he's, he's going to be the, probably the third center on that team. So yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. Like I said, I agree with you, Pete. I hope that he doesn't uh, have any heart issues or any other health issues to begin with, you know, other than, well, hopefully doesn't have any issues, period. But I wouldn't be surprised either if he has to call or quits or at least take some time off. Maybe not completely call or quits again, but take some time off and hopefully not. Yeah. Now, another guy that they just signed the Brooklyn Nets, they signed Paul Millsap, who spent the last four seasons with the Nuggets. Uh, contract details are unknown at this point. Millsap will turn 37 next February, and he'll enter, like, like Aldridge, he'll enter his 16th season. In 20.8 minutes in 2021, Millsap averaged nine points and 4.7 boards. So, again, nothing earth-shattering here. Just going to be a role player, a backup guy to eat some minutes up uh, when the when the superstars are either injured or just sitting for that uh, few minutes in, in the third quarter or what have you. And he's a half-season player. I got no issues with Paul Millsap. He's old, but, again, as we had alluded to, uh, with the Lakers being old, the Nets are old, too. And uh, well, we'll, we're going to get a little bit more into that in just a few minutes here. Really no other news in the NBA other than stuff from the Nets or the Lakers. Not that I heard anyway. So with all these signings and trades and so on and so forth, the Nets and Lakers are old as fuck. They have 11 2015 all-star selections between the two teams, 11 of them. So the Lakers have Westbrook, who was the MVP in 2015, LeBitch James, Marcus All, Anthony Davis, and Carmelo Anthony. The Nets, who just signed Paul Millsap. They have Blake Griffin. They have K- KD. They've got Kyrie Irving. They have Marcus Aldridge. And they have James Harden. 11 All Star selections. That's more than the starters <laughs> in 2015. Like a couple guys, one of these, at least one of these guys was a bench guy. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I think there was a few of them that were bench guys, but. Just crazy that they have been able to secure all these all-stars from, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's it, clearly they both wish that it was 2015 or 2016 again. Yeah, And for sure. these guys were at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. So as we said, both teams are very old. So looking at the oldest teams by average age in the M- or, sorry in the NBA, the Lakers are number one. And they have an average age of 30.9 years old. And the Lakers have six of the 11 oldest players in the NBA. <laughs> but that's crazy. That's awesome. I'm glad that last week we were speculating that they've got to be the oldest team in the league. I'm glad you checked. And they, in fact, are. Yep, for <laughs> sure. So the Heat ring in a number two with an average age of 28.8 years old. And then right next is the Nets with an average age of 28 years old. Bucks are right behind them, as well as Jazz, both with 27.9 years as an average age. And the league average is actually only 26.2 years old. So the Lakers are four-plus years older than the average team. That's, a, that's, nuts. that's a lot on an average. Yeah, for sure. So I want to ask you, Pete, what do you think? Do you think the age an experience of the Nets and the Lakers help or hinder these teams? Well, what were the five teams again that you listed that are the oldest teams in the league? 
So the Lakers, the Heat, the Nets, the Bucks, and the Jazz. So I didn't hear a single bad team in that list. Right. Those are good teams. Now, I don't know if when rubber hits the road here, when it's clutch time, when it's playoffs and you got to win the game and it's game seven, maybe the, the age slows these guys down a bit and they can't get it done. That's sort of where my gut is going, but the list of teams here that are the oldest teams in the league, I mean, the Bucks are on there, for fuck's sakes. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe it's you got to have the right mix like they have where Tanakupo's a young guy. He's not that young anymore, but he's young. He's definitely under 27. And maybe your supporting cast is veterans, and that's the championship mold. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I don't see either of these two teams winning the championship next year. No? No. Hmm. But I, I would certainly wouldn't be surprised if either of them did. It wouldn't be a shock. So who do you think is going to win then? Uh, I mean, I won't hold you because it's super <laughs> early, but at this point, who's going to beat them out to win the championship? Oh, man. You put me on the spot. Mm-hmm. I don't That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. The Bucks are going to be good again. Did they even fucking lose anybody for the Bucks from their championship team? P.J. Tucker, great defensive player, but it's not, not offensive. Replaceable, I'd call him. Ugh. It's hard to repeat, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to toss out the clip. The Clippers, huh? Yeah, but it's early. I, I have not I have not researched who I think is going to win the NBA this year. That's fair. That's fair. At least you're not Kevin. You're fucking pulling out the heat. No, it's going to be Miami no matter what. <laughs> so I think that it's going to do both. These these The average age here, the age high age is going to hinder and help them. I think the experience is obviously going to help when they make the playoffs and they get to the playoffs, but it will hinder them in the same sense you said as that the age factor, by the time they get to the playoffs, these guys are going to be tired. You know, they're going to be banged up. There's going to be injuries. So I think that both of these teams really need to use a whole lot of load management and keep the, all of these players to lower minutes at lower time on the court, share the ball around, so that when you get to the playoffs, you can play the best five guys for a majority of the night and you can win the games. If they don't do that, if they just play balls out and they play KD and LeBron for 40 minutes a game all season, they're going to be done by the, by the time playoffs, they're not going to be playing because they're going to be hurt. You know, especially like LeBron, he hasn't done a whole lot in the last couple of years because he's been out. He's been, he's missed a lot of games in the last two years. You know, he ain't getting any younger. Yeah, you know, he might spend a million bucks on his body every year, but he ain't getting any younger. So, you know, you can only do so much. Yeah, load management might become a huge part of if these teams are successful. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't really have a guess. To yeah, I was going to toss it back yeah. at you. You you can't throw that on me and not throw one out yourself. All right, I'll. If you say the Raptors, I'm going to hang up the call right now. No, <laughs> I'm going to go. With, with one that you're not going to hold me to, I'll say Phoenix right now. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'll say Phoenix. I, I like the way that they played last year. Uh, they just, with that, with all that experience now, and D-Book played in the uh, Olympics, I think with that experience, they're going to come back next year, and they're going to be an uh, even better team. And, of course, CP3 is going to be hungry. He's, he's had a taste of the finals now, so he's going to be a hungry player. I'm sure. But stay tuned for an episode closer to the start of the NBA season. 
we might completely change our mind. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> just <a> preliminary, <laughs> just making a random old statement. Speaking of a statement, and the only thing really I've got left here for the NBA, Kyle Lowry was on CJ McCollum's podcast called Pull Up with CJ McCollum. Well, CJ McCollum is, is another basketball player. He plays with the Portland Trailblazers. Likely got this hookup from Norm Powell, but uh, he got Kyle Lowry on his show and asked him, McCollum asked Lowry what his feelings were towards Toronto after the sign-in trade and so on and so forth. And so just a little bit of, uh, of homerisms here. So Lowry said, Toronto's got my heart, but I'm preparing to play for the heat and I'm ready to go. Toronto has blessed me and they will always be home. And I have great friends there. The whole city, the whole country has been treating me like family and I appreciate it. And this is just one more, one more statement from Kyle that to me helps solidify his status as the groat, the greatest Raptor of all time. Yeah. I will. I, I never have anything bad to say about Kyle. I have no problem that he's playing for the heat. You know, he's, he's getting older. He wants to win another championship or two before he's done. The raps aren't going to do that in the next couple of years, unless it's a fluke. And I got no problem with, uh, with him going, going abroad here, as we had talked about many times before, but I love, I love that he's, uh, he still loves Toronto and I'm sure that he will visit many, many times. And I can't wait to, I believe it's February 3rd. I'm, I'm going to that game. No question about it. He's going to be back in town. The Heat are going to be back in Toronto, or we'll be in Toronto. Kyle will be back in Toronto for the first time. And we haven't seen Kyle in a game in Toronto in a Raptors uniform in a couple of years. So it'll be nice just to see him, even though it'll be in a Heat uniform. It'll be nice to see him uh, in person. And I don't care if there's three fans, 4,000 fans, or 7,000 fans, or even if it's a full fucking 22,000 crowd, the fucking roof is going to be blown off the ACC or Scotiabank, whatever the fuck it's called now. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm an ACC guy, Skydome guy. <laughs> uh, but that roof is going to be blown off because when they announce Lowry and when they do the montage of Lowry, it's just going to go insane and it'll be insane there. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm 100% with you with everything you said about Lowry is for sure the groat. Some other people might think is Air Canada or some shit, but they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Those people might not be on the show today. <laughs> They might be listening to you, but they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, they're wrong no matter what. And I don't think it's any surprise hearing Kyle say this. I think we'd sort of know that he's felt this way about the city and this country. Um, but it's it's good to hear him say it again and sort of reinforce what we already knew, that he took on Toronto as his sort of second home. And like you said, it'll be a pleasure to see him come back here uh, this spring. And we're going to all try and get to that game. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. All right. So that's it for uh, the NBA. What's going on in the ice this week? Yeah. So big news in the NHL. If you recall, last week we were talking about the offer sheet that the Carolina Hurricanes had signed with Esperi Kotkaniemi of the Montreal Canadiens. It was now formerly of the Montreal Canadiens because they declined to match the $6.1 million offer from the uh, Hurricanes and they took the compensation. So they took a first and a third round pick as compensation and Esperi Kotkaniemi, former third overall pick from just a couple of years ago, is now a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. This is uh, crazy. <laughs> it is. though. I, I don't remember the last time an offer sheet was actually, let's call it successful. Mm. it's been a while they don't happen often at all 
And when they do, they're usually matched. It's been a long time since one was actually sort of come fully to fruition and the player actually leave the team. I wish it happened more often because it's fun. Chaos is good for the fan. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Kotkaniemi is now a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. But the Canadians, the reason I think that they did not match, as soon as they got the offer sheet in, I'm sure they started making phone calls and they were able to secure a trade. So they acquired Christian Dvorak from the Arizona Coyotes for a 2022 conditional first-round pick and a second-round pick in the 2024 draft. So the condition on that first-round pick is that it is the the better selection, the higher selection of the Canadians or the Hurricanes first-round pick, the one they just acquired from the Kotkaniemi offer sheet. Whichever is higher goes to Arizona, unless it's in the top 10, then they get the other pick. And if they're both in the top 10, then they get the lower pick. Interesting. Yeah. So I would guess that it's probably going to be Montreal's first rounder because I think Carolina is a better team. Mm-hmm. Time with them. So Dvorak is 25 years old. He scored 17 goals and 14 assists in all 56 games of this certain season past year. That's a pace of 25 goals and 46 points over a full season, which is okay. It's nothing earth shattering about it. He's a solid number two center. He's good defensively. He's good at face-offs. He's a solid guy. He's not going to win you any championships, but he's a good guy to have on your team. So the Canadians objectively got better in the short term. Yeah, depending on what the picks are, you know, what they have to give up and what who they end up picking and blah, 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 you know, they could win in the long term too it's hard to say right yes and what's going to be the biggest determining factor of that is what kakanami develops into right there's a reason he was picked third overall he's only 21 years old he only scored five goals this past season but he had 15 assists that's one more assist than dvorak had but 12 less goals he doesn't have the same level of production as dvorak but he's also much younger Mm-hmm. He's only 21, Dvorak's 25. He's fully developed. Personally, I think the Canadians lost out here. I think that the upside on Kakanyemi is enough. It's high enough that it's likely to surpass Christian Dvorak. Do you think Christian Dvorak will be as good as his father? Erratic Dvorak? Ooh, I'm going to have to toss out a challenge there. I don't think that's his dad. No? No. I think it is. You might be right. I don't think it is. It might be. Okay. Well, either way, do you think he's going to be as good as Raddick? <laughs> no, I don't think he is. I mean, Raddick was pretty good, right? Like, I don't remember how good Raddick actually was. I remember him as, I just remember him as sort of a speedy forward. I don't remember his sort of how good of a player he actually was. In his career, so including Czech leagues and that type of thing, he played 1,260 games. At 590 points, so not bad. It's not bad, not bad. Nothing right shattering. No, yeah. I just really hope that uh, Christian Dvorak is Radic's son. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I don't actually know if he is or not, but for some reason I don't think he is. But maybe. Yeah, like I said, it'll depend on Kakinami's development. If he develops into, if he develops just into Christian Dvorak, then Montreal is down sort of a second round pick and they got a third round pick. So no big deal. 
Mm-hmm. And and there was a few years of, of probably productive play because he's 25 now and Kakanyemi's obviously 21. But if Kakanyemi develops into the potential that got him drafted third overall and he's now with the Hurricanes, I think the Canadians might have made a big mistake here. And kudos to the Hurricanes for putting them in this position because I, I don't necessarily blame the Canadians for what they did because it would have been tough for them to match the offer sheet because it was so much money and they would have had to pay them that again next year uh, because of the way the qualifying offers work. Right. The Hurricanes did a good bit of work here in, in putting together that offer and stealing Kakanyemi away here. And it's, it's a gamble, but if he develops into what he potentially could, then it, they look like geniuses. If he sort of fizzles out a little bit and has kind of hit his ceiling already, then you overpaid for probably a third line center. Mm-hmm. Not the end of the world. So I like this from the Carolina perspective. The Canadians, I don't think, ended up great here. I don't really know why they need to add Christian to work at this point. They, I, in my opinion, they would have been better off just keeping the picks because they're. I think it's going to be a struggle for them to make the playoffs this year in what's a very strong Atlantic division. And they barely scraped in last year. Understanding that they had a great run in the playoffs, but they don't have Weber anymore. They don't have to know. Price is if he had an injury going on too. If I was the Canadians, this wouldn't be my year to try and go for it again. But it seems like they're trying to still be competitive. Whatever. I would have taken the picks and tried to retool a bit. But to each his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what uh, Google's telling me, I'm wrong. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> So when I ask Google who is Christian Dvorak's father, it comes up and it says Ed Dvorak. No idea. Ed is not short for Radic. Uh, Ed is not short for Radic. No. (laughs) So it looks like I'm wrong. Yeah. Damn it. I really should have challenged the fucking Marlins. At least I would be even now. (laughs) Well, at least we both didn't get the minus one for the day. Yeah, for sure. And just one last bit of tidbit of trivia on Christian Dvorak. Line mate of Mitch Marner in his OHL days with the London Knights. Boom. And somebody else, too. He was line mates with somebody else that was uh, it's another top-end player. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Trying to think of who the hell it was. I'm sure you're right. I mean, it's London. They fucking are a factory. Matt, Matthew uh, Tuchuk. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how this all shakes out. But I think Montreal got the shit out of the stick a little bit here and... I think Carolina is going to come out on top. And Arizona, of course, is doing exactly what they need to be doing. Just collecting picks. Yeah. Like, you, it's actually unreal. I'm just going to – I don't have this handy, but I'm going to check it real quick. As we're talking about how many picks they actually have in this upcoming fucking draft. It is stupid. Absolutely stupid. Okay. So, in this year's draft, they have – Three first-round picks, their own, Colorado's, and Montreal's, or potentially the Carolinas, depending on which one's higher. Five second-round picks, that's five, their own, the Islanders, Phillies, San Jose's, and Vancouver's, and then their own pick in each round, except for they don't have their own seventh, but who cares? I wonder how many of those they'll move for potential players now, right? Like, I know they're, they're building more for the future, but five second-round picks – that's, that's a lot of guys in the same year, you know, to make your contracts and to hope that these guys can all turn around and, and do something at the same time. So I wonder if maybe they move a couple for a guy that's a year older or whatever. You know? Yeah. 
they might do that. I wouldn't. I think what they're doing is fucking incredibly smart. They just the draft is a fucking crapshoot. Yeah, for the first round. Yeah, you're just throwing darts. So what they've done is they just fucking stock their pockets full of darts, and they're just gonna throw lots of darts. And if every single one of these picks hits, great. Then you got a problem to deal with where you got too many good players you can't afford to pay them all. Yeah, that's a good problem to have. For sure. I have never seen a team with this many high-end picks in one draft. This is unheard of. Yeah, eight in what the first sixty picks? Yeah, yeah, sixty-four or whatever. Oh yeah, sixty. You're right, sixty. Thirteen. No, 32 64. It's a lot. That is a ton. Kudos to them. They are executing this rebuild, I would say, almost perfectly. If they just had a home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just had a rink to play in. But who needs to ice a team? And they suck anyway. Yeah. They're just building for the future. So they can just take the year off. <laughs> Forfeit every game this year. Well, no, their first round nobody pick. gets hurt. <laughs> yeah. Shane Wright, top expected player in this upcoming draft is supposed to be a fucking superstar too they're gonna have a good shot at him anyway so that brings us on the subject of the coyotes they have submitted a proposal to build a new arena in tempe so there is all sorts of sort of community planning meetings that have to happen and go on right now to see if they'll actually be permitted to build this thing but seems like they are fully committed to to staying in arizona and they're trying to build their own home so that they can't get kicked out again. You know your team's doing good when you get booted <laughs> out of your fucking out of your home. <laughs> yeah. So they'll have to find a temporary home because they're not going to be able to have this thing built by the start of next season and their lease expires at the end of this season. So there will be, I would say probably two years. That's just a wild guess on my part, that they will be playing in this temporary home. Maybe a couple of temporary homes. And that's assuming that the proposal is accepted because there's multiple people that's that right. are uh, looking to build something in that Tempe location. So, yeah, that's true. So, yeah. So, if their proposal goes ahead and they build arena, it takes a couple of years to build the arena and get it fully operational and occupiable. And then they might be able to move in there in a couple of years. So, they'll need to find a temporary home. Like I said, so there's a couple of options out there. Uh, we'll see what they actually end up doing. All signs point to them staying in Arizona with their temporary location and with their permanent location. Seems like they're fully committed to Arizona and the Phoenix greater area. Call it. Does does Phoenix or does anywhere else have a a home that they could use temporarily where they've got enough for sure enough seats? For sure they do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple uh, buildings down there. Uh, they used to share a building with the Suns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. Back before they moved, uh, there's a couple other buildings in there, I think, where the maybe the Suns G League, G League team plays. Right. Something like that. Anyway, there, there's buildings down there that they can use temporarily. So we'll see. But it sounds like they are fully uh, committed, and they're going to be staying in Arizona. Hopefully Austin doesn't join them. Just got to win some games in the playoffs and Austin will stick around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. So there's new COVID protocols in the NHL and they are stern and I like them. Basically, if an unvaccinated player gets sick, they don't get paid for when they're off. And teams are able to suspend players if they can't participate in team activities due to local regulations. For example, just if a team crosses the border and has to quarantine 
if you're not vaccinated and there's practices or games that these players aren't able to attend because they're not vaccinated, they get suspended for those events or practices or whatever, and they don't get paid for those days. And if a fully vaccinated player contracts COVID-19, and the exact wording is, it shall be treated as a hockey-related injury for all purposes. So it's more or less, it's like you got injured playing a game and everything is fully covered, you get fully paid. I think this is smart what the NHL is doing. They're essentially hitting the players in their wallets and saying, if you're not vaccinated, I can't force you to be. But if that means that you can't do something, you're not getting paid. If that means that you get sick and you can't play games, you're not getting paid. That's a good way to entice players to get vaccinated if they haven't already been. Yeah, this is uh, kind of alluded to this earlier when we we're in the uh, talk about the NFL having a 93% uh, vaccination rate. And yeah, there's going to be lots of arguments here for and against this, just like there is for and against for, you know, some sort of passport, vaccination passport, you know, and essentially you're mandating these vaccinations. And like I said, you're hurting them, you know, where the only place that it's going to hurt them is either by not putting them on the ice or not paying them. So, and this is kind of doing both. If, if your team or you, you know, like you said, if you've got a quarantine or what have you before going in down in the U S I don't think that that's going to be an issue going from state to state, but it could going country to country. If you got to visit uh, any of the Canadian teams, or if you are on a Canadian team and you got to go into the U S if you've got a quarantine, then yeah, you're going to lose out on some money. Uh, and, and if you're, you know, you're going to hurt your team if you're a top end guy, right? Cause now you're, you know, let's say it's Austin Matthews and he's go. We, we go to the to the U.S. to play a, a six game road trip and he can only play four games because he's, you know, under quarantine. So that's going to hurt the team. Obviously, players and coaches and upper management are going to there's going to be some issues there if we're paying you to play and you're not playing because of your, uh, you know, your vaccination decisions. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's uh, there's a lot to like about it, but at the same time, it kind of takes away from a player's ability to not want to be vaccinated. You know, I think, I guess when it comes down to it, if you're vaxxed, you're pretty much good to go, especially if it does, if you do get sick. And as long as I think just kind of like everywhere else, if you can provide a, a negative test, then you're going to be just fine as well. You can you'll still be able to play that type of thing. Obviously if you get sick, you're not playing regardless. So, but it's making, more hoops for unvaccinated players to jump through. And I think because these guys are traveling around left, right, and center, they're going, you know, East coast, West coast, middle, you know, Midwest, they travel up here to Canada. I really think that, uh, that this is, I agree with you, Pete. I think it's a good thing. I think they need to get as many vaccinations as they can. And with these players jumping on planes, I realize that they're not on, typically they're not on commercial flights. They're just flying with their boys or, you know, you jump in the bus with your, with your teammates and you go down the road in LA or whatever, but the least amount of potential unvaccinated people or even vaccinated people that are potentially catching this virus, any, any which way, any way that you can reduce it as, as a business to keep your money flowing, whether it be as a player or as the team or as NHL, uh, any way you can, can uh, help that along so you can keep your payments, keep, keep money flowing in, keep people at the, at the ranks is a good thing. And I think this is going to help do that. Yeah, for sure. But it's definitely not going to sit right with some players for sure. Yeah, but fuck them. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a tough go, right? 
yeah. So last bit of NHL news. Uh, Logan Mayu, who we talked about previously, who had the Canadians drafted in the first round, uh, 31st overall, after he asked not to, be, not to be drafted because of an ongoing situation that was happening with a woman that he had taken photographs of without her knowledge as they were performing a consensual sexual act. He was getting a blowjob and he took some pictures of it. <laughs> I was going to say, that was pretty political. Just laying out how it is. Just getting a blowy and he took a picture. <laughs> yeah, shared it with the boys. He's been suspended indefinitely by the OHL. Uh, reason being is that he, uh, in their words, violated the league's expectation of appropriate conduct of an OHL player. So he is suspended indefinitely. He is a member of the London Knights if he is able to play. Uh, and he can apply for reinstatement on January the 1st. So we'll see. I imagine that come January 1st, he's going to apply, and we'll see if he gets back to be able to play again. I think he probably will, because, again, we talked about this before. The offense that he committed was not that egregious. No, and it was a consensual act, like you said. Like, yeah, it was not good. You shouldn't be taking pictures like this and sharing them online. For sure. But it's, uh, you know, he didn't sexually assault anybody. He didn't rape anybody. He didn't. It's it's not the worst crime in the world. So I think he'll be able to come back and play and hopefully get his career on track. Because, like, missing a year of play at his age, that could be huge for his development. Mm-hmm. And he's a Canadian, so maybe that's a good thing as a Leaf fan. But you never like to see someone not live up to their potential, even if they are the enemy. So... We'll see. We'll see how it goes come January. I, if I was a betting man, I'd say he'd probably get back to playing by then, but we'll see. Yeah, like you likely don't see this kid in the pros this year. Even after no. January 1st, he's going to be, you know, he'll either be with the London Knights or maybe move up to their uh, AHL affiliate, but I don't see this guy being an NHL player by the end of the year, unless they really tank and they're just saying, let's see what we got Yeah, type thing. But I don't think he's going to be a player that's going to push them into the playoffs just based yeah. on his, you know, his lack of experience. Yeah, for sure. And he, so he can't play in the AHL. It's NHL or OHL for him. Why can't he play in the AHL? Uh, there's an agreement between the, I think it's the CHL, maybe just the OHL, but I think it's the CHL and the NHL that if a player's under, I think under 20, uh, they can't play in the AHL. I see. So it's so it's either it's it's designed to get players to stay in the OHL. Yeah, I see. I thought you meant for some other reason. Age makes total sense. I thought you were gonna give me yeah. some other reason that he couldn't play, but like he took a fucking picks of chick giving him a blowjob or something. No, no, it's just a just a rule between the OHL and the NHL that they can't jump to the minors. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, but I'll tell you who will be playing come this spring. And it's NHL players. What? But they're not going to be playing in the NHL. What? They're going to be playing in China. What? In Beijing. What? In the 2022 Winter Olympics. Because the NHL players are back in the Olympics, baby. What? I'm excited. That's fucking great. We missed out in 2018 on best on best in hockey. I think Russia ended up winning the Olympics because they had uh, some of their better KHL players that were able to be there. And mm-hmm. the other countries were sort of farming sort of college 
and retired level teams, they skipped out on NHL talent because uh, this deal wasn't in place. But the the NHL players will be back in the Olympics. The NHL and the NHLPA have come to an agreement with the IIHF and the IOC that will allow NHL players to participate in the Olympic Games in 2022 in Beijing. Now, there is a caveat that they can back out of this deal still, depending on if COVID-19 conditions worsen. This makes sense. Yes. So hopefully that doesn't become an issue and this can go ahead as planned. But for now, all signs seem to be going to a Team Canada with Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon. And all your other favorite superstars playing against the rest of the world's greats in a best-on-best best international competition. I love Olympic hockey when it's best-on-best. Best. I can't wait. Look, when is the Olympics? You said the spring. So is the playoffs will be over by then? No, no, it's midseason. It's uh, so you're not potentially you won't have like is no, it's a they go on break. The the oh, league okay. stops. It goes okay. on break. All right. So it's not All like a world best. championship type thing. No. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. There's an Olympic break. All the best players will be there, regardless of their standings. And so that's like six months from now. It's soon, yeah. It's in March, I think. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fun. Can't wait to bring home a gold. Oh, we hope. We got a... Uh, obviously, we lost the last one, but we didn't have our... Our ringers there. Didn't count. Didn't count. No. We won in Sochi. We won in Vancouver. Let's fucking go win it again. Yeah, I heard uh, potential lineup. First line could be, uh, well, who was it? It was, it was McKinnon. Probably Marner, McKinnon. McKinnon, and Marner, and McDavid. Yeah. yeah. And then it was Bergeron, Marshawn, and Crosby. Yeah. Because uh, they played together on – yeah, yeah. Previously, so, uh, so. a shout out to uh, the 2014 Olympics or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, actually, uh, the fourth line was Stamkos, Tavares. I can't remember who the center was. They put Tavares on the wing in this potential. Uh, this potential. Uh, lineup. Probably Braden Point or fucking something. Uh, like I that. think Point was up. Up. Well, he was on the third line on this particular one that I saw, but yeah. But uh, yeah, I was looking up and down the lineup. I'm like, holy fuck, that's a pretty good lineup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be a good team. But um, like the the Americans will have a really good team too. Yeah. Um, same with like like the Swedes will be good. Yeah, the Ruskies. Yeah, Hedman's never played in the Olympics. He got left out on the 2014 team, but uh, he'll be front and center on Sweden's team. It'll be ah. Ah, you're getting me excited already. There will be lots of time to talk about this. We can we can uh, analyze this left, right, and center, and say who we want here and there. And we got lots of time to talk about that. It's gonna yeah. be exciting, uh, exciting time. I might try and make Jesse put together his Team Canada roster just for fun, because he won't have a clue. Gretzky, <laughs> Mario, <laughs> Mark Messier. Yeah. All good players. <laughs> All good players. Uh, so in more recent events in Canadian sporting, in the U.S. Open tennis, unseated 18-year-old young lady, Canadian, Layla Fernandez, 
has defeated Naomi Osaka at the U.S. Open in what is a major upset. Going into this uh, U.S. Open, uh, I'm just going to read a quote here from an article. Naomi Osaka enters the U.S. Open as the reigning champion after opening the 2021 season with a title at the Australian Open and as the winner of the past two Grand Slam titles on hard courts. She has won two of the past three U.S. Open trophies, and on paper, she is certainly a top candidate, if not the favorite, to win in New York. And she has been eliminated by an 18-year-old Canadian that was unseated. I love it. I've never heard of Layla Fernandez before this. I don't you have either. But who am I to question your tennis knowledge? I definitely have not heard <laughs> heard this woman before, but but she, hopefully, uh, sorry, hopefully she's uh, hopefully she's on a similar path as uh, as Bianca Andreescu was a couple of years ago, and she can go on to win something. I doubt she's going to win this year, but who knows? If you remember, Bianca had won already a couple before no majors, but she had won. I think the um, whatever the Canadian Cup is called, Rogers, Rogers maybe, yeah. yeah. Actually, I don't think it's called the Rogers Cup anymore, but it used to be. Yeah. yeah it's like anyway. a national bank or something. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Bianca won that against uh, Serena, which led to led into her winning the U.S. Open. I don't think that's going to happen here for Layla, but this is, regardless, a huge victory for her uh, taking down a top three-seeded female tennis player. It's a huge moment for her career as an 18-year-old, and hopefully she has a great career ahead. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that uh, she was able to put Osaka away. And, and Osaka, she wasn't playing great. There was multiple times where she smashed her tennis racket into the ground. She threw it at one point. She was, uh, you could tell she was very frustrated. And for good reason, she's she's a top dog. And she's here playing, you know, a nobody, really. And this nobody is pushing her to the limit. And just Osaka had nothing. She she couldn't do much. Seemed that uh, Fernandez had her number this time. And I mean, you know damn well that Osaka will probably not let her win again, or at least the next time uh, they face off because she will be furious. But I'm wondering, Osaka has had quite a bit of, uh, you know, mental health issues and whatnot. And, you know, she took a lot of time off. She had said now that she's going to take some more time off and she's not sure when she'll get back to tennis. And I wonder how much that had to do with it. Uh, especially after going down and when you start losing and you start putting more and more pressure on yourself, I'm a number three. I need to stomp this chick. Like there's no reason that this woman should be beating me type thing. And you get inside your own head and I would not be surprised uh, to hear if that, you know, that actually was the case. Um, Not that Fernandez didn't play a good match because she did, but uh, there's, there had to have been something here with, uh, with Osaka and, and her, her head must not have been right. And, I mean, maybe not. Maybe she was fine, and maybe this was just straight up Fernandez just kicked her ass. And I, I hope that was actually the case because obviously mental health issues suck. But uh, like I said, Pete, this is this is just crazy, and hopefully this uh, at least pushes Fernandez to to be that you know that much better and gives her more and more confidence because now you've beat one of the best players in the world, and keep keep on keeping on, you know, keep going, keep winning more matches. So uh, now you mentioned Bianca. Uh, before, I'm not sure if she played today on Sunday, but before today, she had not lost a match and she was running through. I don't even think she lost this. I don't think she lost a game. 
Uh, she might have lost a set, but I don't think she lost the game so far. And so that's that's good for Bianca to uh, to push forward in this U.S. Open. And we'll see how uh, how the rest of the ladies' tournament goes from here on out. And so Fernandez is not the only teenager to knock off a top-rated tennis player on the men's side. Carlos Alcaraz. You sure it's not Alcatraz? I'm pretty sure it's not Alcatraz, right. although I was pretty confident I was going to call him Alcatraz, <laughs> but I managed not to. He kicked things off in this tournament on the men's side with a stunning five-set win over Stefanos Sistibus, becoming the youngest man to beat a top-three opponent since the ATP implemented its rankings in 1973. This is on the men's side, obviously. Uh, very similar to Fernandez winning. And uh, I don't know. It's just uh, it's the U.S. Open of upsets, apparently, as uh, these two 18-year-olds come in and knock off a top three seed. It's pretty sweet. I always love to see a, a top-rated player go down. Uh, it just opens the door for, you know, the, the guys that are, and women that are in the 10s, you know, the 10 to 15. It just gives them that little bit extra chance, you know, because yeah, that, yeah. that number three seed is gone or, or what have you. So. I always like seeing a, a favorite go down in pretty much any sport, unless the favorite is my favorite team, which is fucking never the case because I always yeah. make shitty teams. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, except for the fucking Leafs against the Habs this past season. Anyway, we're not going to get into that again. <laughs> but the uh, the favorite of favorites is still alive on the men's side, uh, the Joker, who is on track for a record-breaking 21st career Grand Slam victory in men's singles. And he's on track, if he can win this U.S. Open, for the first calendar slam in singles play since 1988. So it's a big, big tournament for Djokovic, uh, trying to get that overall record of Grand Slams and trying to go for the calendar slam. Now, after just saying that I like to see favorites go down, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing him win this just to just to break these records. And you know, it's always cool when you're you whether you watch it or it was in your time when when the, some of these records that you know may never be broken again are broken. You know, you yeah. say a lot of times, oh, that'll never be broken, that'll never be broken. And then like <clears throat> you know, big one is Gretzky's points. You know, or Kretzky's goals, oh, they'll never be caught, they'll never be caught. And like, especially the goals, look at Ovi. He's fucking getting close. You know, he's got some years left that he's got to be stay healthy for, but he's getting close. So I like to see that some of these uh, record-breaking things in, uh, in any sport, they're super hard to get, but somebody might attain that eventually. It's, uh, it's pretty exciting. So it'll be cool to see him break these records, get these grand slams, and then have the have the next kid come up and do it and try and now I have a goal. I gotta beat Djokovic and his and his 21 career grand slams or or what have you. So like I said, although I like to see the favorite go down, sometimes you you want to see the favorite win just so you can say you were you were a part of that or or you watched it at least. Yeah, for sure. It's always by the way, no one's touching Gretzky's points record. <laughs> it's good to see uh it's good to see records be broken, like you said. And uh, there's actually another one that was just broken. Why don't you tell us about what's happening in the world of football? Yeah, so Mr. Cristiano Ronaldo 
uh, as you said, breaks a record. So he is now the all-time leading international scorer with 111 goals in 180 caps. Uh, this is uh, it's pretty crazy with all the names internationally, you know, the Pele's, the Maradona's, even the Messi's, the Ronaldo's. You would think that uh, that they would have quite a few goals uh, internationally, and, and I'm sure they do. But Cristiano is now the number one guy all time, and uh, his 11, 111 goals with Portugal stands out above the rest. So just a quick point of clarification. International scorer in terms of men's side. Yes. Because on the women's side, I happen to know for a fact that Miss Christine Sinclair is the overall international scoring leader. I don't know offhand how many goals she has, but I know it's more than 111. Yeah, so on the men's side, which whether it's a men's or women's record, it's it's phenomenal regardless. So yeah. And so then continuing on with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, he used to play for Juventus. He has now, since he rejoins Manchester United after a transfer, I guess Juventus was like, we don't need this fucking guy. Get the fuck out of here. He old. You <laughs> want to buy him? Okay. Yeah, they were probably more looking at the cash. Like, hmm, how much money can we get for him? So he ends up going back to Man U. He, uh, he's going to end up wearing his old number seven jersey. Uh, or sorry, not not the old number seven, the number seven jersey existing. The previous owner of the number seven jersey, I can't remember who who he was. I, the name is is escaping me at this point. But he has said that he'll he'll give it up for Ronaldo, which uh, makes sense when he, when a superstar comes to your team, you give up that number, especially if he's going to be the starter. Yeah, and he was seven when he was there the first time, right? I I don't think so. He was seven for Portugal. I have a feeling he was a higher number, like in the forties or something when he first started with Man U. But I could be, I could be completely wrong. I'm, I'm not too much of a soccer dude. So, uh, or as Kev would call, foosball. Booty. <laughs> yeah. So should. Uh, I mean, you could challenge me if you want. Should I toss out a challenge just for fun? I don't know. Like I'm gonna say, I, I'm not gonna say forty, but I'm gonna say it's not number seven when he played back with uh, Man U prior. I'm going yeah, to toss it out there. I nice. think he was seven before. Okay, yeah, so I don't know on that. So I'll let you look that up. Um, so this number seven jersey, fans of Man U have spent 32.5 million euros in the first 12 hours after his transfer to Man U on jerseys, shirts, anything that, anything that says Ronaldo, basically. That's a lot of fucking money, man, in 12 hours. That's a crazy amount of cash. Yeah, that is an outrageous amount of money for people to spend on this jersey. Yeah. But he's Ronaldo. What do you expect? 100%. Now, I saw uh, when he was he was transferred, but obviously he hadn't gotten to the stadium. It was that day that he was transferred. And sure enough, fans had brought in a cardboard cutout, big-ass cardboard cutout of Ronaldo and brought it into the stands, and they were chanting with him. And, you know, he's got Ronaldo is hanging out right beside you watching the Man U game. Not sure how the fuck they get these things into the stadiums, but <laughs> all was, balls up. Yeah, it was pretty funny to, to see this big ass, uh, big ass cardboard Ronaldo out there. Yeah. So, and I quote: Ronaldo donned the number seven shirt during his first stint at the club, following in the footsteps of United 
of great United players, including George Best, Brian Robertson, Eric Cantona, and David Beckham. Oh, there you go. All right. It's wrong again. Fuck. <laughs> that sucks. We should do more shows, just me and you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. PGA Tour Championship. Kev's been going on about this for the last couple of weeks uh, in regards with the FedEx Cup and how the last, you know, only certain amount of players get to play in the next tournament, the next tournament, the next tournament. I believe it was the uh, final 30 that were able to play in the Tour Championship year. And the winner ended up being Patrick Cantley. He wins the Tour Championship and FedEx Cup. And with a score of minus 21, he takes home a bonus purse of a clean 15 milli. Yes, please. Give me that duffel bag old cash. Uh, John Rom finishes second with a minus 20. So just short of that minus 21. Might be a few duffel bags to get to that 15. Million. Yeah, it might be a few. That's depends not going to fit. Depends on the size of bills, right? Yeah, depends on the denomination for sure. For but sure. that's that's a lot of that's a lot of fajol yeah. to fit in a couple bags. I'm sure Kevin would have a little bit more to talk about uh, the PGA here. He would probably uh, talk to you about uh, Bryson and Brooks. Uh, Brooks Kepka, he ended up pulling out of the Tour Championship, but I guess I guess the PGA had said that you couldn't chant. Brooksy, so they were fans were tra- chanting Brooksy to Bryson because of their whole <laughs> the whole thing that they, they hate each other type thing. And my understanding is that Bryson was getting pissed off, didn't want to be called Brooksy, so he basically cried to the PGA, and the PGA was going to kick anybody out that was chanting Brooksy to Bryson. You know, that's pretty weak. If you can't handle a little chirping, being a pro- professional athlete, making millions of dollars then just pack her in and don't play anymore. Yeah, you're a bitch, dude. Yeah, you're a bitch, exactly. You're a bitch, dude. <laughs> don't be a bitch, dude. <laughs> uh, and so then a little bit of history here. Sung J.M. made his 494th birdie of the season, which is the most birdies in one single season since 1980. That's a lot of fucking birdies. Man, man I wish I could hit that many bogeys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't argue with you there. I wouldn't mind hitting that many bogeys too, but that is a lot of birdies. That and is uh, a ton of birdies. Now, to me, this name is not it's not super high end on JM. So he must have shot a lot of bogeys. He must have shot a lot yeah. of double bogeys for to offset these 494 birdies. Uh, or we would have definitely heard about him much yeah. more. Yeah, not a household name at all. I have never heard of this guy. But yeah, when you have the most birdies since 1980, you're absolutely right. If you're not, you should be doing well at that point. You should be well known unless you're, you know, following it up with bogeys or doubles. Yeah, pretty well. All right. So that's pretty much all I got for the PGA. Why don't we jump into our penalty boxes? Pete, tell me who you got. I have got. A doozy this week. I heard this story on the radio and I knew right away this had to be this had to be a penalty box. It had to be. I pretty much knew right away as well. I, I saw this, I saw some videos and, and whatnot, and I was like, oh, this has got to be it. 
Um, <laughs> so we both put it down on our box. That uh, I gave it up for Pete because I, I got another one a little later on. But carry on, Pete. Appreciate you. So in my box is let's call it high school. High school in quotes. <laughs> air quotes. <laughs> Bishop Sycamore. It's in air quotes because. We're pretty confident that it's not an actual high school. It's a fake high school. It was just there to have a football team. We're pretty sure everyone on the team, maybe not everyone, but a good chunk of the players are overage. And not actually high school students. <laughs> so somehow this team was able to play a game and get televised by ESPN they played against IMG Academy, who's out of Florida. Who's like in a school for developing young athletes. This is a very good high school football program. They played at Canton, Ohio Stadium, where just a few weeks ago, the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers kicked off the NHL preseason, NFL preseason. Jeez, that was uh, almost a challenge. Ohio. <laughs> so this team from the school that doesn't exist is playing at a stadium that just weeks earlier NFL players are playing on. They're playing against IMG Academy. They got dummied. 58 to nothing. Absolutely destroyed. ESPN's play-by-play after Bishop Sigmar went down 30 to nothing said, from what we've seen so far, this is not a fair fight. And there's got to be a point where you worry about health and safety. Because <laughs> as they're watching, as they're commenting on this game, they can tell that this team is not what they said they were. They are not even close to the same caliber as uh, as this team out of Florida they're playing against. And they're just getting destroyed. They're just completely outmatched. Roy Johnson, who is the coach, has been the subject of federal fraud investigation, at least three lawsuits, and he has a warrant for failing to appear in a domestic violence case. Just a hell of a human being, this guy. <laughs> and according to some former players, this head coach of the team apparently sources all of his plays from the Madden video game series. <laughs> <laughs> So he goes home, he fires up Madden, plays as whatever <laughs> team he plays as. Probably the Cowboys, just because he seems like he'd be a Cowboys guy. I don't know why. <laughs> and he runs fucking I formation, and he runs a fucking whatever play. He writes it down, and he coaches his team to run those plays. That's hilarious. That's yeah. where he comes up with all those plays. So this team that's not really a team, not really a school, Bishop Sycamore, is just, I don't know how deep this thing goes, but they're just a fake school with fake players that aren't high school age playing on the team <laughs> that get beat down by a bunch of high, actual high school kids <laughs> and lose 58 to nothing. Somehow they were able to convince ESPN to televise this game. It's crazy that they duped ESPN here. Like, <laughs> just wild. Now, I saw an article or a post, what have you, uh, and it was the quarterback of Bishop Sycamore. And he said that 
it it's a real high school but they don't go to class like every other high school basically it's a high school for football and so you you know you don't have to do your actual school you just got to do your uh you know your video tape watching and that type of thing and make sure you do your you know your training and so on and so forth as opposed to having to actually go to classes and learn geography or what have you now he also said that he guaranteed that he was the only overager and that he was 19 years old, but everybody else was high school age. So, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I'm sure time will tell as uh, more of this story unfolds. And But this is just crazy. I just, I don't understand how ESPN, it gets through all the fucking rigmarole to, to get TV crews there and, and nobody nobody looked back into bishop sycamore you all of a sudden they're just this superstar fucking team that deserves to be on tv like wouldn't you look back at their previous history and say oh these guys have played like four games ever you know that have been recorded or whatever like so apparently there was people at espn that did do that and they put up a big red flag and said hey none of the fact checking we did on this school checks out really something's not right here Wow. And that, that went up the chain and somebody up the chain said, no, nah, no, nah, don't worry about that. They're cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And they ran the game. That's crazy. So Bishop Sycamore for being a fake high school that may be a real high school, but just for football. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. They're in my penalty box. And especially their coach, who apparently has been fired now because there's someone that can fire him from the school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they've hired a new coach already, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they fired him. Maybe it's because he got all those plays out of Madden. I mean, Maybe. hey, if they work with Michael Vick and Madden, <laughs> why wouldn't they work with Joe Blow? <laughs> uh, I love it. So they're in my box for this just outrageous story and it's I can't wait for more details to come out it was in your box all right so in my box we're going to a little bit of minor league baseball I've got Henry Ramos so tempers have flared during Friday night's game between the Reno Aces and the Tacoma Rainiers Uh, Diamondbacks prospect Henry Ramos was at the center of an infield brawl So after Ramos crushed a two-run home run in the bottom of the seventh, giving the Aces an 11-2 lead, this is important, an 11-2 lead, Ramos was seen jawing at a few players on the Rainiers as he's rounding the bags. Ramos's antics didn't sit well with Rainier shortstop Donovan Walton, but then followed him around the bases. And right before he was about to touch third base, Ramos turned around and chucked his helmet at Walton and then proceeded to throw a punch at Walton. The punch from Ramos obviously sparked a bench-clearing brawl between the Aces and the Rainiers. And uh, it was an ugly scene, to say the least. Obviously, all all bench-clearing brawls are. Uh, As you'd expect, Ramos and Walton were both ejected from the game. Rainiers catcher Jose Godoy was also ejected because he threw his glove at Ramos. (laughs) So Ramos, 29, has been really productive this season, batting 373 with 12 home runs and 57 RBIs. Now, that being said, this moment is probably likely to overshadow any of that success he's had at the plate. And so both teams haven't announced any potential discipline for Ramos or Walton 
uh, on this. But and the re- so the reason that Henry Ramos is in my box is not because he was chirping. It's not because he threw the helmet. It's not because he got into a fight. It's because of the chirping being up eleven to two. Yeah, for sure. If it's if it's a couple runs, you just took the lead. You know, maybe you just hit a it was a home run, a two run home run. So maybe it was if it was two nothing for uh, for the opposite team, you just tied it up. If it was two two, you know, you just went up two runs to take the lead. That type of thing. Then chirp, chirp all you want. You know, you expect to get it back because that's the way baseball works. That's the way all sports work. You chirp me, I chirp you. But when you're up 11 or when you're up, sorry, nine to two at that point, you hit that home run to go up 11 to and you're run, running the bases and chirping away, chirping away. You deserve to get into a fight. And I actually wish that Walton would have got a couple more shots in there before. Right? It was pretty quick to, to get broken up, but uh, there was quite a few people, you know, like both teams were right in there pretty quick and coaches and everything. But when you're up that much, there's no need to be chirping like that. You know, and again, it'd be one thing if they were pros, but you know, these are, these are, uh, you know, lower end guys. I'm not sure if it was triple A or double A, but either way, you know, you hit, he mashed it. He hit the ball far, but just, just shut your mouth when you're up that much. Like, come on. But it was, uh, if you watch the video, you see, he gets around, he's, you can see him probably about halfway between first and second. He starts lipping. And then as he's coming around second base, he hits the bag and he's continuing to lip. He kind of turns around a little bit and lips to the shortstop. And then that's when all hell breaks loose and, and uh, it goes on. But <laughs> there's been a few pro players that threw helmets. I remember Bryce Harper threw his helmet at the pitcher after he, uh, you know, after the pitcher got close to him or maybe he did hit him uh, with the ball. But, you know, this is just about chirping, like give it up, you know, accept it he was he was dealing with it too he was dealing it out so if you can deal it you got to be able to accept it and take it yeah evidently he couldn't didn't like the chirp back through his helmet through a punch and like i said all hell broke <laughs> so so henry ramos uh for for chirping after he got a 11-2 lead after you just mashed a home run you're in my box you got to be smarter than that you got to be more professional than that if you're going to go up to the bigs yeah at that point, the scoreboard's doing the talking for you. You yeah. don't need to run your mouth. 100%. Well, that's going to do it for our penalty boxes. That's going to do it for all your updates and all your other sports. As much as I don't really want to ask you, Pete, why don't you go through the fucking points penalty scores today? I don't know why you wouldn't want to ask. It's been such a good day. <laughs> yeah, they've been fucking great. <laughs> so first of all, Radek Dvorak is not the father of Christian Dvorak. His father is named Ed. I don't know who Ed is, but it's not Radic. For the record, that was a Kevin challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I like, this this has got to be one. Of course, I didn't know the answer before a challenge, but. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that's plus one for Peter, minus one for Josh. And then uh, Ronaldo's number seven. Uh, He did, in fact, have number seven at his first stint at Man U. So that's another plus one for Peter and minus one for Josh. Yeah, not good. Pretty good, I'd say. It all depends on your perspective, you know? Yeah, I guess so. Well, that brings our season totals. Peter moves up to plus seven. Kevin at minus 11. Jesse remains at plus 10, mostly due to a washed-out tournament. Josh drops down to minus five. And Graham is at minus two and DeLine's at minus seven. 
because they both suck and they don't show up often. <laughs> we tried to get the line on here today to get some more negatives, but yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, he was yeah. busy, unfortunately. That's okay. We carried the load. I think it was a pretty good show. Ah, I didn't mind it. <laughs> as long as the listeners like our voices, I think we're good. Well, that may be a, that may be a problem. <laughs> the content was good. All right. Content was good. There you go. All right. So that's pretty much going to do it for today. But uh, before we finish off here, we got to ask you, Pete, how was your drink? Yeah. My uh, Nickelbrook Brewing Naughty Neighbor American Pale Ale was good. I drank faster than I probably should have. It was a bit, uh, I didn't prepare very well. It was a bit parched ever since probably the MBA. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's okay. It, uh, they went down well and they went down quick. And I would certainly get them again. How was yours? Yeah, mine was tasty. Great Lakes Brewing, pompous ass English ale. Uh, it was, like I said, quite tasty. Only a 4.2%, so a little light, the, the alcohol. I enjoyed it. And I figure, uh, I figure Kev would probably enjoy this one as it's a little lighter and it's not uh, quite as hoppy. So maybe I'll tell him to get this one, uh, you know, in a few weeks, see what he likes. But I enjoyed this one and I would definitely get it again. And it's got a funny can because it's got a pompous ass on it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe when we all reach Kevin's age, we won't like the hoppy IPAs either. Mm. Who knows? We got a long uh, way to go. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think Kev's just a bitch. Yeah, could be that too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, everyone. We'd like to thank you all for listening. Please subscribe where we get your pods. Give us a like and follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Points Penalties. And until next week, stay, stay out, out of the, the penalty, penalty box. box.